Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to the Marketing Cruise Podcast. We'll take you on a journey in the world of digital marketing to discover innovative ideas, evocative solutions, and the latest updates in our industry because digital first is the new rule. We are your Marketing Cruise. My name is Jim. And I'm Carissa. So let's get the marketing game started. Yes. So how are you doing, Jim? I'm feeling good. I'm back on my fitness goals. How about you? I'm going to to start thinking about that this week. But we had a holiday yesterday, so it was a long weekend. It's a good thing for us here in the Philippines. Yes, I also had a great time for uh, three days without work and just relaxing, watching my favorite series and playing games. Okay, so for today, we have a very special episode again, and we are on episode 4. Yes. And our title is Branding That Move Audience to Action. And for today's episode, we have a very special guest all the way from the United States of America. Please welcome to the Marketing Cares Podcast, Ellen. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Hi guys. Hi, Carissa. Hi, Jane. I, I met you. This is the first time I talked to you, but I've been working with Carissa for a while. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was actually a bit of a surprise and Carissa invited me. And of course, she's a favorite of mine, so I couldn't say no. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, I'm so happy to be here and pretty honored. And, and I have to tell you guys, um, I have been invited to a few podcasts, but I never said yes. This is wow. actually my, my first podcast. So I was a little bit excited about it. I, I did Twitch. I did YouTube interviews before. I did a few things that... And for some reason, I never did have a podcast of any kind. And I believe this is going to be aired on Spotify, right? So, yeah, yes. this is yes. actually my first time ever on podcast. Wow, it's an honor. Absolutely. Yes. We feel very honored to be in your presence. Oh, <laughs> yes. thank you. Thank you. All right. So for a bit refresher to our listeners, um, can you tell us something about yourself? Yeah, so um, I started as a, well, um, I'm actually originally, I'm not sure if your listeners are mostly from the Philippines, but I just kind of like when I established that rapport, that mentioning that I'm actually Filipino, and I graduated from um, University of St. LaSalle in Bacolod, Iowan, Ilonga, Mm -hmm. and um, I did my uh, business economics uh, in University of St. LaSalle. And then um, I dabbled a little bit um, of customer service um, um, in when, in Manila, and then I started. Um, I did work for a company, um, and then I moved to Sri Lanka in Colombo and became a video producer. So from then on, it's just kind of like my marketing journey started off. So I was so my background is economics, and then I started uh, to become a video producer. For this company in Colombo, Sri Lanka called Young Asia Television. Mm-hmm. So that's how it basically started. So I got um, introduced to, um, you know, television production and how to make a 37-30-minute program for, for United Nations Development Fund, for, um, for Asian Development Bank. So it's very focused on, on NGOs and government organizations. And then later on, I moved to uh, California. So that's when I actually started really becoming a video editor. Uh, I got a few chance to work with companies like Sony and Adobe, and then I became an independent contractor. And then later on, I realized that 
um, I think I need to branch out because being in, in, in San Francisco is such a thing where the competition is so high because there's a lot of artists and there's a lot of um, art students here. So I said, oh, well, why can I not go to general marketing? So I started my journey uh, with digital marketing. I enrolled myself to a three or four months um, course to general assembly. I, I believe you have them in Philippines as well. They're quite a popular um, um, digital marketing um, transitional company. If you want to study digital marketing, you can study with them. And then that was about it. And that it basically started my journey. So I started uh, taking in more clients. And then later on, when when I decided to, okay, I need to wrap up the the challenge a little bit. So I joined a full-time bootcamp with, with Tradecast. And then the rest is history. And I started my own company. And now here I am. I am talking to you guys. Wow. You know, you, you start with baby steps, right? You start oh, yeah, with... absolutely. And also, I love that you take a lot of classes, bootcamp, so you want to, to learn and you really invest. I, and I think that's the things. secret of it because, you know, moving to another country, being Filipino and being a minority, you have to kind of step it up a little bit because I know that my background, I know that, in, uh, that I have a background in economics. I, I, I'm learning, I did have uh, classes in traditional marketing and I understand how the market works. I understand about, you know, the four piece of marketing product place, blah, blah, blah. But that was a time when, okay, I'm going to give away my age to you guys. So, um, so that was a time when it was just transitioning to social media and digital marketing. So that was a time like, oh, marketing skills are getting to be a little bit more um, not as uh, traditional as it should be. So that was when we transitioned about social media, that when Facebook uh, came in, that's when Twitter became really popular. So for me, with traditional training and marketing, part of my business um, degree I'm I'm quite of lost. So like, how do I really deal with this? I don't know anything about, you know, social media. I mean, I have my own account, but how do you really do it in a professional way? How do you do paid advertising? How do you Twitter? How do you build community in there? So that that's kind of like started. Said, oh, okay, I need to take a course in in, in general assembly, and it will teach you step by step on how to do it. So that was a very introductory, and I was basically talking about maybe 2013. So this is a long way to go. So I'm one of those people who kind of like really started first with these basic digital marketing. And I made it work for, for my career because I know I'm creative. I know I have um, a career in photography, but how am I going to complement that in terms of getting more, um, more clients? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, when I met you, like I, I'm, I really admire you because you you are a woman you know design and you are very passionate about it so that's what i and am I'm a minority about. in san francisco <laughs> yeah. we, we, we love to kind of like to that because not a lot of actually if you have a degree i mean another country even it doesn't matter how educated you are they always looked at how fit you are for the job it's not really about the education. You can have a master's and a PhD in anywhere in the world. But when a company kind of like assess you, they would look at how exposed is this person? How is it to be? And I think there's a reason why, um, you know, in order for you to stand out, you really have to be current. So that was like my main goal. It was like, I know I'm confident enough and I know that I'm qualified enough, but I'm actually, how am I actually going to convince these people to hire me? 
And then that comes with being just be at the forefront, knowing what you are doing in digital marketing and offering them a niche based on your background. Oh, I have something to offer. I cannot just offer you digital marketing. I also have another background that I can actually bring to the table. So it, it became that actually. Yeah. Wow, that's that's nice to hear. Which brings me to one of the prominent campaigns that I know that came from you, which is the hashtag Be Fearless, Be Weird, Be Extraordinary standout. So how did you come up with that? Oh, um, I think I one of the inspiration of that one, um, I have I think I can encourage your your um listeners as well. So Seth Godin, uh, of course, for one word, I'm sure you know them. So he has a famous book called The Purple Cow. So the idea of basically the purple cow is that he's driving in a country and seeing all the, the brown cows and he's just like, oh, you know, a brown cow, a brown cow here, a brown cow there. And she was, he was thinking, I was like, oh, um, uh, this is so that, that's basically he said it. It's, it's like the marketing. You, you go to a country, you see a lot of cows trying to get your attention and they're all brown. And then all of a sudden, what, what if there is a purple cow while you're driving in a country? So obviously, you, it's totally going to uh, take your um, your attention because there's no such thing as a purple cow. So I kind of like pounded uh, to that. I was like, yeah, I, I think I could. I think what is the concept and what are the kind of messaging that will actually kind of rely on on the purple cow? And I think being fearless. You know, uh, being an innovator, being a risk taker, um, because if you if you look at the concept, so if you Google purple cow, what is it really it's about? So purple cow is a concept where you you built your product in a way that is very very remarkable versus being ordinary. So you go to that remarkability and then you build it in your product. So I like that concept because of that. So if I am a purple cow, you know, fan and I'm in marketing, what I'm going to do is I am going to market to early adapters and innovators. And these are the people that these are the people that goes on the line to buy an Apple product, for example, because they want to have the best camera. They want to have the best phone. I want this piece of the market. And how am I basically going to market to them? So the idea of being a purple cow is that I want the early adapters because they are equal to virality. If my if I want my market uh, if I want my product to be viral, I rather tap these people that are um, early adapters and they're innovators. And how can I do that by being different myself? Because these people are not going to be attracted with things that are normal things that are boring. They basically are going to look at the products that are very, very attractive to them. And one of them would be being a purple cow, stand out, be fearless. You know, I think it's about polarity as well. You know, there are two kinds of people, the yin and the yang is the opposite of the other. Like one can be fearless, one can be fearful. One can be simple, one can be an extravagant. So I want to go for the extravagance because that's what marketing is supposed to be. And I want to attract the best of the best. And I love storytelling. So that's what, um, when I say be fearless, be innovative, that's what a story is all about. I love that. Yeah, and also you. to refresh everyone, when we say early adapters, they are a type of market wherein these are the group of people who are open to innovation, Absolutely. new products, and not afraid to try something new. So, mm-hmm. Yes, they are the risk takers. And yes. basically, they cross, they let you cross the chasm. 
So they will, the laggards are the exact opposite of them. Yeah. The laggards will just say, oh, they're already there. Let me, let me follow them. So then in, in the middle is that. So yeah, absolutely. So I, I really want to market to those innovators and because they, 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 they're the ones that are fun to market with, to begin with. Uh, yeah. And also about, you know, profitability at the end of the day, when you know that you can tap them, then you know that your, that your strategy will work to the, to the late and the middle adapters and then to the loggers. But you have to test the market to them first because they're also some sort of like your influencer. They're the one who really talks about your product. And for me, they're very, very hard to catch. But when they do, when you have the exact um, formula, they are just going to help you, um, you know, sell your product and you don't even have to pay for them. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay, that's awesome. So third question is do you have any favorite campaigns and why do you think they hit the mark oh god um is it like it needs to be a digital or is it just like gonna be a traditional product traditional or digital will work oh the very first thing that comes up with me is really i i have to be honest it's nike nike is just yeah just do it and um, the way, um, so, so I'm in San Francisco and Union Square, there's one of the biggest um, showroom in, um, in uh, Nike and they have the biggest billboard ever. In terms of motivation, they just have the right message to, to people to say, just do it. And it can be anything. And I think um, I'm going to say, okay, so I think someone told me before, I'm, I'm trying to remember it now. Um, she said that if Hilton or Hyatt, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's Hyatt. If Hyatt makes shoes, you'd never know it's Hyatt, right? Because yeah. they're very plain in terms of branding and in terms. But if Nike start um, starting hotels, you'd know it's Nike. So that's basically what it is. Like I'd recognize if it's a Nike hotel, but I'll never recognize if it's a Hyatt shoes because the, the, the thing that they put on their, on their branding it's just so much to involve the community and such motivation and inspiration that they tap to a lot of um, subconscious other people that they know exactly that I know exactly who am I selling to that even if I'm selling hotel and if I have a Nike product I know what to do so um, by far Nike has always been my favorite product because it's very very recognizable and that I, I cannot like give you that that author who said that but i remembered it really right like you're right and i've been saying that to my clients before if nike uh goes to a hotel business you know it's nike but if hyatt goes to a, a shoe business you'd never know it's hyatt yeah so that's why so nike is my favorite um oh, brand it's nice so what about adobe i always hear it from you Okay, so Adobe, um, I was privileged uh, to work with Adobe before. So they have a couple collaboration with Sony. And um, I, I, I did manage to, I'm a photographer and they featured me in one of their, um, in one of their, so in 2011, they started transitioning uh, from a software to a creative cloud. So you build a subscription um, based business. So I was actually part of the transition in a way that I did a lot of um, um, programs with them. I did a lot of um, videos with them, addressing mobile um, creativity, uh, Sunny value paired with, um, with Adobe, and that you can create 
being creative anywhere you are in the world. So that became um, some sort of a thing. So I did work with, uh, with this guy, with, with, they have a department called Adobe TV. So that's basically takes care of all their um, education in terms of how to use Photoshop, how to use Adobe Premiere, how to use Adobe After Effects. I'm lucky enough to actually be part of that uh, group, at least um, as, a, as a producer, to basically be part of the video editing part, the part of the collaboration where we would make videos for that particular thing to happen. So that's one of my favorite projects in a sense that in, in the process, they know that I was a photographer. They actually featured me in one of those events and they said, okay, she's a photographer and this is what she does with Photoshop. So I did, I was a part of that uh, campaign with a creative cloud that I, they featured me when they were in New York. They were just showing me on the video. I was doing all these. I was basically taking different pieces of, um, of elements um, in San Francisco and I turned it in a way that that image doesn't exactly look like when I took it. So mm -hmm. it was a collaboration with them. And then, um, yeah, I did a few videos for them. Sunny Vio and then uh, Creative Cloud. So that's why I always talk about Adobe because it's kind of like as an, as an artist, uh, as, a, um, as a photographer, and at the same time as, um, as a video editor, they kind of like gave me a break to be able to show my, my skills, uh, to be able to show my, um, you know, as a photographer uh, and basically to show what 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 does it mean to be creative all around that i can have a small piece i could have my sony via or my ipad and i could be anywhere in the world it could be in italy it could be in india it could be in um in san francisco in hong kong and i could literally like draw and i could like uh, do my social media and push it out in the world by not even leaving my hotel room so that was i, I think that's for me is digital digital first brand strategy that that was really really awesome wow yeah. we should is, is the video still existing in their channel oh yes absolutely <laughs> i have to find that every time i would look for work or would look for contracts i showed it to them and they're very impressed so it is the reason i closed the deal yeah i i did work with a bell it's called um i'm gonna send you guys a link and you could probably share this to your um to your um listeners um it was featured before with with uh it was a campaign between sony VOD played it in Singapore during the SIGGRAPH and I think there was some conference and then they were they were playing it. I, I was really lucky to be a part wow. of it. It's a Filipino. Yeah. And it also helps that some of my, um, I know the producer, so they kind of really nice and kind to me and you know, I was working with some of the videos that, I, that they actually did that. So it was more of a favor of a favor and I just couldn't be more thankful to that. It's just like an opportunity after another. And I just worked. I didn't even plan for it. I was just surprised when they asked me. Yeah. Awesome. So as an artist, I always see artists that they have this, you know, thumb. Every individual has a unique thumb. <coughs> Excuse uh -huh. me, right? So as an artist, you have this branding in you. And I see that in all of your works, especially in ODSC. Um, you always <laughs> say that before you design, you always base in psychology, which is a good yeah. thing because you just... You just don't create out of nowhere. You always base it with with a study, and you 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 before you create the design, you study like before you you use these pictures. You make sure that these pictures fit to your target audience. So that's what I love with your work. It's it's really like a study behind it, and that's that's how that's your 
thumbprint as an artist. So that's what I see. It, it, it's funny that you said that because I think they, they came from two different <laughs> things. Because as a businesswoman, I need to know the market. And you, when you go to a market, you need to know how to attract it. You know the norms, you Google something, and you know that you're competing for this image, you're competing for the search words. And being an artist at the same time, and I think I'm very, very sensitive because it's, um, it's a balance. I know that I have something that I want people to show, but at the same time, I have to compromise. Does it fit the intended audience for my client? So it's always, I have to go back to that all the time. Um, being an artist actually in a sense that I know photography and I know what sticks, I know what um, grabs the audience, what is compelling for them and what is compelling for that. So there's that distinction. So I think at the end of the day, it's a balance. When you were talking about our, our that clients about with ODSC, even though I would go for something that is like compelling, I would still think about does it match just my persona? Because at the end of the day, we have a lot. I don't. I hate to, to use the word stereotypes. I want to say it's persona profile. I know that when I when when I'm dealing with this particular um, audience, they have a certain thing that they are used to seeing, and I don't want to go beyond that. Because if I'm selling something of a product that will not fit that, they will just be oh, these people are just fooling me. It doesn't really fit me with what. So um, as much as an artist, it's still a business decision because what works for them and at the end of the day, still about the client. So yeah, that, that's kind of like, so yeah, sometimes I have to sacrifice a little bit, but I hate colors, yellow. Why do I have to use yellow? <laughs> but apparently the study says and the AV testing said you need to say yellow and orange. I'm like, oh. So yeah, so, so that's that um, you have to make uh, a certain um uh, what they call this a formula right once you got the formula right when you grab the audience when you grab then you can put in a little bit of the story you can put in a little bit of but you have to make the basic right like it cannot give you a long uh, cta button it doesn't matter what color it is they're just gonna say oh what is it like yeah so so there's that at the end of the day it's business decision and it's something that what worked for you as you know i, I always look at this when uh, when you go to a certain website, you have certain expectations and what kind of bottle will make you click. So it, I always, I always go to certain website. What's my behavior there? It's basically about looking towards in yourself and say, will this work for me? If I am a data scientist, will this work for me? If I'm a nurse or will this work for me? If I'm a digital marketing, if you're selling me something, what color a bottle works for me? So it's basically about looking at what your persona will like. So it's still about the persona. It's not about you as an artist. It's basically more about still what's the accepted um, norm in that particular industry or in that particular, you know, um, aspect. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Now, talking about, uh, you know, the audience and branding in general, we all know that branding can affect the everyday lives of our audiences. So, for example, here in yeah. the Philippines, when we say toothpaste, the people always oh, think of Colgate. When we see a glass of uh, cola, they always think of Coca-Cola instead of Pepsi. So, I think that's how branding can uh, move audience to action or do something with a business but how or what are the tips do you think about branding that can oh, move the audience this is going to be another podcast <laughs> I'm sorry. 
think so. I, I don't know. The, the way I understand branding is about mental availability. Yeah. So there's a certain category, salience, brand awareness, and there's three things. So I, I didn't prepare for this one, actually. So I was like, I, I do have. So um, mental availability is a fact that when you sell me something, toothpaste, for example, what is the very first product that comes to my mind? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm Filipino. So what I would actually say Colgate. <laughs> because yeah. I grew up thinking, so for me, it's like it's salience. Uh, it doesn't matter what, what you say, but when you tell me toothpaste, I'm going to say um, Colgate. And then so it's basically the very first brand that you think the moment they, they, they tell you the concept. So there are three levers of that, by the way. Um, I, need, I need to have some sort of, <laughs> because this is a very interesting one, because you, you'd be surprised actually, like how much uh, thought process that this one, uh, that, that one in terms of branding comes in. Yeah. So let me, let me like, just like, because now you, you kind of like, you made me Google my, not Google it, but you made me look at one of my notes. Um, so mental availability. So that comes under mental availability. Okay, so it's basically the very first one is about being a uh, salience. Um, the moment you tell me something, there's a very first thing that comes to my mind. And then Pepsodent is just an awareness. For example, we know about Pepsodent, but it doesn't really come on the first mention of like, yeah. so that's like the second or the third choice. So for me, that's brand awareness. So in order for you to, to do that about branding, it's like you need to really have some sort of a good story and a good tagline and it needs to be real that they can actually relate to that from the very beginning um okay let's take an example of uh, what do I, like a lipstick um a lipstick would be about so right now i have a smashbox smashbox doesn't even come in as as the mental like the very first mental ability smashbox would be a little bit in the lower so what carissa what was the first lipstick brand that comes when when someone asks if say lipstick Revlon. yeah Revlon. there you go so th there it is so uh, mental availability is something that you basically think the very first mention of that category and lipstick would be a Revlon actually it's true for me because I would always think about Revlon so so that is a thing so it, it's a lot of work um, unless you find your niche um for example you you basically have to work for salience because yours you need to be the very first um product then you need to think about this probably going to be a different <laughs> podcast mm -hmm. but yeah um so it's basically about uh, mental awareness and it's like the kind of campaigns that what you can do about it but um i i would say that um it, it's hard to answer right now but as an advice um yeah. if you're a startup company go for go for the story and be memorable be fearless because you'll never they'll never remember you in terms of salience if you don't really think about you to begin with but it, it comes with um loyalty as well it comes with resilience it, there's a lot of way there's no any answer to that and you know me you you, you never get an easy answer from me there will always be a lot of side explanations <laughs> the things that why we have to do things so yeah and how's the how's the branding there in San Francisco? You know, it's, it's I'm very hard. curious because here in the Philippines we know um, how Filipinos, you know, behavior, yeah. how they they think, what are the trending right now. But how's in the U.S. in San Francisco? I, I have to say, American market loves authenticity. Um, it's number one. Uh, it's always authenticity. 
because okay so you, a brand promise is a brand promise and you really need to deliver um what you're promising it to them because if you're halfway to it eventually the consumers are so smart that they will catch up um that's why i'm really really careful about okay you're saying this for example um can you to this up like, can you actually defend this promise until on so you know after five years or six years or ten years can you actually stick to that promise so for me about brand promise you have to be very authentic you cannot just come out in the market in us and just say oh by the way promise this but you can't really deliver it so for me the most important thing is brand promise which is equals authenticity and and a lot that's very the distinction and that's the reason why people were able to go to make it in the market and not able to market because of that and storytelling i think it's i'm not sure which one is number one and number two um storytelling is big in america um if you're here um you, you're not really selling the product they will buy it because of the storytelling right. um as an example would that be you know a mix and match socks that they sell to 12 year old and they would actually say oh i have a 1 million sales right now for this mix and match and they would like how much is are you selling for this year oh, it's 1 million and then they focus on the story the story is about this girl who goes to the school is not very popular wearing he doesn't have a lot of he's just not the most popular girl and she's wearing a mix match mismatch um socks and they say hey and then she would go to her friend and say hey i have a mismatch socks and all of a sudden this girl that that girl talk about to the mom said mom i want to miss my match and then that story of the mismatch match from 1 million they have a sale for 4 million so that that's what a storytelling so what the word of mouth is authentic and then they know that they cannot they, they cannot just sell um this socks to a 12 year old into girls but it needs to be a certain girl and it needs to be certain um um uh, like crowd these are the girls who are like huh i i don't care about fashion i just want to like wear something that is this match and that's where it is and where it's happening so you can there's a lot of case study about that the mismatch socks that you can look at that's how normally american market like behaves so i think it's a cultural thing too like i will not have the same approach if i'm selling to korea i'm not going to have the same approach if i'm selling to hong kong but i know the market enough i shall say that in america that they have a lot of bases and references that oh yeah this thing is going to work but i'm not sure to other market it's at the end of the day it's about culturally and it's about you know where you're at because it's a tribe like brand is a tribe that you have to kind of like um align your your offer to that to them yeah yeah so what are the brands that you love there that possesses authenticity god i don't know <laughs> do you, do you um, buy um well it's just for clothing for example yeah maybe um, there are some certain brands that i like of course because i'm you know eco-friendly and i'm sorry so god i can't remember i'm gonna be embarrassed right now there is actually a brand i can't remember right now but their their branding is more about um i think fury fury is about um um there's they don't do child labor they don't do um, mm. certain things like they don't yeah the material is they don't use dye that are like because i'm big on um i have issues um, like hormonal issues that if i wear something that will trigger chemical 
things. So I'm really, really careful. It depends on what I drink too. I only drink organic wine. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's like my persona, for example, I'm, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm a vegan, but I like clean products and I like eating whole foods. So if I'm going to, so my decision making when it comes to buying, it will always be towards that. So my favorite brand, like for clothes, for example, I actually like um, theory and those things that says uh, no child labor and like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's more an ethical. Yeah, I'm more an ethical too. Like I, I, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan, but I'm planning to be because I, I only buy from my local farmers as well. I have a, I, I have a, a farmer where I get my chicken my way. So it's more of a lifestyle for me because I have a condition. Um, so I'm really, really careful about that. But yeah, it, it's that anything that is ethical and I know, and you know, you I think consumers are smart enough when you know that you're fooling them or not. There are certain labels that you have to watch out that they say I'm free vegan and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, um, I'm really careful and say, is this where you just want this? Is this company just want my money or my business or do you really care about? So it's about the caring and are they doing something about the, the environment and the community? Yeah. See, I did not actually plan to talk about this. <laughs> so that's so, then, no. then TCT people know. Yeah. yeah. So it's authenticity and idea real of what they claim to be. You cannot just fool me, say your eggs is organic when I know that you just raised it in a caged one when I want cage free and pasture raised. So it's, it's a lifestyle choice, for example. So mm -hmm. I'm just going there because, yeah, to drive the message that authenticity like really works yeah. and, and i think it's the same like even if you notice most of the youtube superstars they they don't have any filter the reason why become they're very very um popular is just because they're being themselves mm -hmm. you know what i mean so and i think um people are smart enough to figure it out that this person is claiming something that he or she's not to be even with their influencers and this product is claiming not to be so you can't really fool people because at the end of the day they're very smart to look at things and yeah so my my advice would always be just like be authentic and just say what it is and you sell what you sell give them a choice that these are your your benefits and these are how you made it and give the give the consumer the the freedom to choose if they like you or not without actually claiming to be something else yeah that's interesting jim how about in the philippines what do you notice about the branding here what oh. are the products filipinos love? oh my god oh i i noticed it's about virality um i think the yeah. more feature you see on no it's, it's not even about philippines too you i think you see it everywhere the more you actually see the product it's basically ordinary products but promoted on television often so then if they tap on the they basically tap on the mind to say this is the most yeah so it's a play of that um and i think a lot of countries are whoever have the biggest advertising budget wins let's just say that so i, I sadly um I, I i live in indonesia before i lived in you know in some parts of asia and i could see that whoever has the biggest um budget in terms of advertising and in terms of production um or like wins it's just because of that and i think it's exposure so the more you see them on television, the more you actually believe what they're claiming them to be. And um, it, I think it's true everywhere in the world. And I think we as a consumer are smart enough, but at the same time we get swayed. It's because, oh, the TV said that it's true. They're claiming this to be, oh, I believe them. 
so yeah so um and and i'm like i am very very in, in my own practice i'm very very conscious of that because i know for a fact that that's necessarily true that the one that you see all the time and the one with the biggest budget is managed right it's, it's not good for you um it's just because i'm i'm you know it, my my ba- my background is smart about healthy living about being eating plants so i know a lot of products that are being sold like oh my god this is crap right? So, yeah, so there's that distinction between, and I, I wish I mean uh, with my clients, of course, is different in what product that they offer. But I always, what's luckily in my personal experience, I don't have to deal with consumer products. It's more about digital. So yeah, but I, I'm really gonna, I'm probably gonna end up suing a company <laughs> because they claim something that they're not supposed to claim. But that's a personal one of me. And then so yeah, but on my clients on the other side, I'm happy to just stick with. You know, with digital branding, that it doesn't really affect the health, and yeah, but it's some about more about self betterment. Like in ODSC, we do professional development for data science, and yeah, I prefer that. I, I don't want to go through where you need to have an FDA approval. You need to go there. No, I don't. Mm. I don't want. I don't want to be. It's, it's tricky, and I, I, I tend to avoid products that have something to do with food drug authorization. And yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so everyone has their, yeah, everyone has their own like core values or personal core values that they yeah. uphold even and they translate it in their work. So, yeah, and I think it's true to if you're a business person, um, if you want it to be true, it's either what what do you prioritize? Is it your profit first or you want something a little bit of a balance? Um, I could take on any clients that I could believe in, but you have to it's a tricky thing for me that luckily I didn't really have to choose but is it my ethics or is it my um I'm very very strict about that because I think I will be a very very good effective marketer and a brand marketing manager if I know that it's a product that I also kind of believe in rather than me faking it just to get their money and run out of it and yeah so it's going to be very different so um luckily for me right now I'm still have that advantage but oh I think this is gonna work me I, I could still choose a client is it worth my time? Is it not worth my time? Because I know they're gonna they're not gonna make it in a way. So um I, I do have this distinction of, of, of authenticity. And I think I think that's that's one thing that you need to kind of like, you know, is it profit or is it a little bit of your of your ethics as well when you go into to to business like that? Yeah. Yeah. So G, we have a question. Yeah, I think it's about uh, being digital first now. So Ah. Do you have any brand in mind do you, that you think is doing the digital first approach that you admire today? Oh God, I, I'll never go far away from, I think it's a classic example. I think there's just not even Uber. <laughs> you cannot go oh, far away from, because I, I already mentioned Adobe. Adobe has a, has that, but then since I already mentioned them about that, so maybe um classic example would be, um, would be Adobe, uh, would be um, Uber, because they may just made the first brand strategy basically just being seamless. Like you cannot go wrong when when you have um, Uber. It's the experience, it's the seamless of the of the application from fulfillment from from introduction to fulfillment. And I will never go far. And I think anyone who knows about Uber would totally like get that. And um, the fact that delighting the customers is when they open the app, they ordered Uber, and they get out of the cab 
and you don't have to give their um, you don't have to give their credit card. So for me, that was I think I think I'm, I'm basing on my first experience with Uber. Were like, oh, it was not even Uber before; it was like black car. I remember the very first time when I ordered a black car. I'm like, oh, it's fifty dollars. It was fifty dollars and per ride, and I was like, I'm going to this place. I ordered Uber. It was tell me you're going to be charged fifty dollars, and then the guy came out in a suit and opened the door for me, and I get in, and then I close the door, and then when I reach my destination, thank you for for you know for riding with us, and everything settled. Like I don't have to give my um, my um, my card to him, and it was it, for me that was the experience. That's why I said that they are so far the best first run strategy. And the fact that they also um, disrupt the market of transportation, like, you know, they, they literally change not just um, San Francisco, U.S., but they also change how um, the experience of transportation uh, in, in, in Asia. Like, in, to be honest, I have a lot of friends in Philippines who go to visit who's worried about the safety in taxis, for example. But when I was in Bangkok, I was like, oh, my God, if I'm going to be too drunk, what I'm gonna do, so you know what I do? It doesn't matter how expensive Uber is in Bangkok. I would actually get picked up and get delivered to my uh, place and safety-wise, because I know if something happened to me, the very last transaction that my credit card um, pulled out is going to be Uber. So it, it's that. It's it it, it encompasses not just um, uh, the experience itself of Uber is social. Um, you know, it's the it's a confidence that the woman can be safe going through parties and stuff and i'm gonna go home I'm, I'm from san francisco but if i'm in bangkok they're actually gonna take me back to my friend's house or to my hotel really really safe and, and i'll be fine and if i'm gone missing my family knows where to find me because who was the last person interested and i think for me um uber uh, changed that and disrupted the industry for that so i've always been their number one fan uh because of that because it covers um a traveling experience wherever you are in the world that can actually uh, it's a solution that that was just so great and I, I don't know i hope they realize what they're doing but for me it really does yeah so they're actually my favorite brand because i can go to philippines i could go to i don't know yeah, turkey over here and i know we don't have yeah, over here. i actually brought a lot no a lot of my friends are taking over in manila and they actually yeah i think there is there is because yeah, I'm coming to visit Manila. Ah, oh, so Manila. Oh, yeah, because yeah. my friends in Manila are taking over and told me I just have Manila. In Bangkok, I was taking that for safety reasons. So it's more about confidence and being safe. And I, I, I think you can place any value or money to that. I'd pay anything to be safe. Then I know that like, someone could pick me up and like, you know, drop me. Uh, at a safe place when I wanted to be and there's that um, credibility and you know they can answer if I got missing like my sister or just go to over and said hey my sister took over <laughs> where did you drop her last yeah. so for me it's that so it encompasses a lot of social norms and yeah and society and safety and a lot of issues about women so yeah Uber have you tried yeah awesome have you tried Uber Eats I always hear. Oh God, yeah. Even over eight is really amazing. I'm actually a big fan. The the cost was so ridiculous that I have to stop using them. So I only do over eats if I can pick up like um, a mile away from my place before mm -hmm. I use. I, I did. They they actually saying that uh, there was a an article about it that 
Uber Eats, they were talking a lot about metaverse, but the real metaverse happened earlier than that. It actually happened on Uber Eats because they literally the digital first experiences that you can order anywhere else in the world with with Uber Eats and then they can deliver it right in front of you. So that's basically like a metaverse. So I, I, I need to send you that um, article, Carissa, Jim. I, there was the thing about how they explained why um, overeats is actually the first metaverse. metaverse. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. Because it literally like it's drastically in front of you in just a matter of like putting in an app and it came from somewhere and you could be entering the world and you can have that same experience from the one in San Francisco. If you are living in Rome, if you're living in Israel, if you're living somewhere with overeats, it's the same experience where I'm living. And then an app, and it appears fresh food right in front of your door in a matter of minutes. So that's what they actually say. The first metaverse is not on the metaverse we're using about Facebook, but it actually happened. Metaverse happened and overeats. Overeats, <laughs> yeah. No, no I, I need to send you that. Maybe you can share it to your, um, to your listeners. That, that explanation, why is it called the first metaversical experience is actually overeats and not yeah. something else and not the, the metaverse that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay. Sure. Uh, actually, this reminded me of another like transportation app here in the Philippines. It's equivalent to Uber as well. We call it Angkas. So it's very yes. Filipino. I understand that. Um, I get it. Uh, it's a company where uh, customers can order a ride with a motorcycle, and there's a driver, and you'll sit at the back, of course. Yes. Uh, but uh, they are considered also as digital first because whenever there's a viral thing that happens online they always bank on it so they use promo codes related to an event so for example back in quarantine there was an ostrich who got loose on a village and then oh there God. was in that video there was an uncast rider that got caught in the video so they banked on it they took a screenshot of that video and they use a promo code ostrich oh, so, they, they're, so they're that fast so within an hour within two hours they already have a promo code related ostrich. to the viral thing that everybody's talking wow. about so i think that that's also being digital first, oh being on the screen or being yeah, in the front of the eyes. That is so good. So this is basically hashtagging ostrich and to deliver that on the that's that's pretty amazing. I yeah. like that. Yeah. So it's it's when you say digital first, it's basically about the, the what you how you can actually have that image or that experience or that campaign like you know being related to a bigger group like blast it and then they will actually adapt to it. Um, yeah. I like that idea. I will remember that. I will probably um, talk about that with my other clients about, hey, we need to do hashtagging more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Carissa's listening. We already have something in mind. Like, Carissa, what can we do with our clients? <laughs> <laughs> to have that ostrich version of Ankas. <laughs> yeah. That's I've so been meaning to, to use Ankas because it's, it's very popular here in the philippines even chinese Chinese here even what's, the what's the version of that in, in english like say that will bode well with the american market motorcycle i'm not sure it's like i don't know uncast like, yeah uh, back ride yeah back, oh back. piggyback yeah. piggyback oh. back ride yeah that's sort of a thing i think you just have to explain it in a way that they can relate to uncast or back ride or yeah. ride share no i don't know ride share um yeah, back ride, piggyback. Yeah, no, that's good. Awesome. Yeah. So we're down to our last one, oh. which is past talk. Jim, I, you should do this because you're good in telling past talks question. 
Oh, you guys are so good. You're making me like think hard. You're making me sweat, by the way. And you know that it's almost dinner time here, so I'm. You reminded me of adobo. You know? <laughs> I really well, adobo. we all love adobo. <laughs> I know I'm a terrible cook. Just so I know, like, oh god, it's 7 p.m. My sun, the sun is setting down, and yeah, I, I really want. I wish I could have adobo right now. Maybe I will after yeah. talking to you guys. Yeah. All right. But before we proceed to the fast talk, let me ask you, what's your final tip about branding to all businesses out there? Um, you know, I, I think I, I said it earlier uh, when I started from the very, very beginning. Um, it's about authenticity. authenticity. And you really have to mean what you say and say what you mean. In a sense that you cannot just claim anything about your brand promise when you don't really mean it. Yeah. First, you have to understand your category. What am I category that I'm playing for? So it's a message market fit that, okay, if I'm going to tell this particular message to my market, um, what am I going to say in that sense? Um, because it's, it's the messaging that we all sometimes get lost. And if you can like nail it down from the very, very beginning of what you actually are selling and what you're promising to your um, customers, um, that would be it. So I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a basic person. Um, ideas comes after, but I really want to nail down with the basic. So just being true to what your brand promises for me is, is the main thing. Uh, I don't. I hate it when people are claiming something of what they're selling, and when there's not, that's like a pet peeve to me. Um, I, I really want brand authenticity, and just like deliver what you promise, and do this, like do what you said you're gonna do. Uh, that for me is the biggest advice I could give. Yeah. So basically, it's like a phrase that I've often heard from marketing, which is under promise and over deliver. Yeah, under promise and over deliver. You're very good. Yeah, I I love under. Um, under promising and over delivering and, and I think that's when you surprise your customers and you're delighting your clients and you yeah. say that okay this is really good and, and it's a repeat business I shall say that I you know when when the expectations are there but when you are over um, uh, giving with what their expectations are um, it doesn't matter what sector or what part we're talking about but when you're when you're over delivering it's always a good thing because it also means that you know, you care enough for these people. Um, I'm big on, on caring and I'm big on, um, I always think about the customers first um, because I also want these products and these brands to actually do the same thing for me. And so uh, I, I, I love um, yeah, under-promising and over-delivering. That should be the motto of most companies. Uh, right. I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. All right, so let's proceed to the fast talk. So just answer what's uh, at the top of your mind when I ask you these oh questions. So All right, are you this. ready? <laughs> okay, let's see. <laughs> All right, let's go. So books or movies? Books. What's your favorite book? Uh, Brand Gap by Martin Meyer. All right. Coffee or tea? Tea. What's your top three favorite Filipino food? Oh, adobo, kare kare, and leche flan. Wow. <laughs> what do you miss most about the Philippines? People. The people. And finally, do you follow the digital first approach? Uh, yes, I literally do. 
um, I, I think Carissa is, is an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm branding. I'm more about touch points. Where do you actually experience my brand first? And that would be digital. So yes, totally. All right. That's very good. You have just listened to the Marketing Goose podcast powered by Emerge. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. Oh. Thank you so much, Ellen, for Thank taking the so time much. to talk with us. Oh, I yeah. miss you guys. I really, really, um, I really miss Philippines, by the way. So I'm so happy to give this inter- in this interview. All right. So thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you're living with bits and pieces of new learnings from your marketingers. Again, my name is Jim. And Carissa. And together with our special guest, Ellen, remember, digital first is the new rule. Thank you for listening and until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.